Your friend Faraday said that you were from the future. I need to know if he was telling the truth. Dude, that's ridiculous. What year were you born? What year? Uh, 1931? You're 46? Yeah. Yes, I am. So you fought in the Korean War? There's no such thing. Who's the President of the United States? All right, dude, we're from the future. Sorry. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost Monkey Off My Backlog, second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa. This week, even though I feel like we just did this the other day, we'll be talking more time travel shenanigans in The Variable and Follow the Leader. By the way, Tessa, The Variable was episode 100. Ooh, landmark. We did a hondo of these episodes and like <laughs> 70 billion recap apps. Oh my God. That was a thing. They did it for Greys and Desperate Housewives and Lost because there was a time when all three of those shows were on TV. Did they at least set it to some cool music like Supernatural does in their last episode of the season every year? No. Although, can you imagine? No, carry on my wayward son. Yeah, can you imagine a 40 minute long montage of things on Supernatural with carry on just playing over and over and over again? Um, yeah, I can actually. <laughs> Kansas actually played them in at Comic Con one year. Dope. Ah, Tessa, I gotta tell you, watching these two episodes and then going back and preparing the notes for this episode, I am struck. By in general on this rewatch, once they ran out of backstory, how much wheel spinning there has been narratively. I think part of that is the inflated episode orders from ABC. Part of it is not really knowing what story they're telling. I think I said this last week, but I've definitely told you this before. I really like this season. Like this season so far has been so good and very interesting and they have a lot of good ideas, but this is kind of where the wheels start to fall off for me to kind of borrow your metaphor. Like I'm not really sure. I mean, there are some things that I'm like, okay, this is clearly what they're going towards. And we're going to talk about those things like Jack's storyline, for an example. But for the most part, it's kind of like, man, there was a lot of, promise like they could have done a lot you know this time travel them in the 70s stuff with john and his people or whatever but it just took so long to get here and now that we're here it's kind of like and Mm -hmm. now what Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i think that uh, like most things in lost we could describe this season as having bigger eyes than their stomach right and ironically because the next time we talk after this episode is going to be there's going to be a lot more to talk about, right? of course, because it's the season finale. Mm-hmm. And I will, from memory, from what I remember, I believe the season finale is when both feet, proverbially, proverbially, are planted on what the show is going to be. I think in retrospect, I know that they really enter the end game with this season finale. I think... Thinking about watching the show for the first time week to week, when you watch anything week to week and you're so attuned to that 
grinding 22 episode schedule with reruns and weeks off and stuff like the all killer, no filler lost seasons are nice. And you still don't notice as many things, I think, from week to week, like watching it in a more compressed format. It's it's more unforgiving for a show like this. You don't have to like look forward to see your 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 favorite characters every week, right? Because there is this element right. of episodic television like this where you're like, I like Hurley. Like I'm looking forward to seeing Hurley. And then Hurley's on the screen and you feel like you're hanging out with Hurley and you don't right. necessarily notice that they don't really know what to do with him anymore. Well, right. So t- we'll take Daniel, for ex- uh, for instance, or Desmond. Right. You don't see a whole lot of them this season. Right. But even though I, I see them often enough that I think about... In my mind, Daniel Faraday was in a show, and Charlotte were in the show a lot more than they actually were. That's something, that's the difference between binging a show, which isn't really what we're doing, but it's more like that than than what it was the first time through. So let's start again with the past past. The past past. The past past. The poison. The poison for Cusco. This Uh, was poison. It's hard to put years on uh, these first couple of scenes. It's basically however old you think Daniel is. Yeah, this is a Daniel flashback. Right. So this first Daniel flashback, I would say, I would assume is sometime in the 80s. Because I assume that Daniel Faraday in timeline is older than me, but not by a lot. Well, I don't think he was born in 77 for reasons we'll talk about later. So I would assume 80s. Right. So in the 80s is where we come to with Daniel and Eloise. Daniel loves playing the piano. But in a in the beginning of a trend that we will see play out, Eloise says, "Give up your music, Daniel, make your mama proud." Which is something it's great when your mom tells you to give up something you love and to make her proud. That's great. Two things. One, this is like completely ignoring all of the mathematical geniuses who also were great musicians and vice versa. It doesn't like, even make any sense. Come on. Like, this is a this is like academic culture bullshit, siloing bullshit. Like, come on, let him be a renaissance man. Yeah, Eloise, come like, on. Like, that kid who can tell you how many beats there's been on a metronome over the last couple of minutes is going to, like, not concentrate on math, too. Like, and, and get out of here. And by the way, by the way. This is why STEM is bad. And I know what you're thinking. Well, we could do STEAM where we put the arts in. Fuck you, you can't. Whatever. Shut up. Anyway, yeah, so this is like toxic attitude, and she's wrong. That's number one. Okay. Uh, number two. Number two, I, I told you this, and like I think I started to get on into it last week, and we have talked a lot about parents and children in yes. this series. Oh, in, on Lost. Yeah, on okay. Lost. We okay. talked a okay. lot about parents and children. Last week, we talked about Ben and, and his child and Chang and uh, his father and all of that stuff. This week, with the variable and the next episode, it really cemented to me when I realized that none of these characters have good parents. None of them. Except for Charlie number two. Except for Charlie number two. Yes. I mean, hopefully. I hope. I I assume Desmond and Penny will be good parents. But the point is, is that like all of the adult characters, none of them have good parents. Like even Hurley's parents, who are the probably the best parents of the group, also have family trauma issues with the dad leaving them and then coming back and all of that stuff. I'm starting to realize that a good part of this show seems to be focused around the idea of how parents 
traumatize us, how they replicate trauma from their own lives in Mm -hmm. our lives, but also how they will use their children to further their own aims or to sacrifice them on what they think has to happen. The sins of the father revisited on the children. Like, that's a big part of this. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's classic, right? right. That's classic storytelling. That's a that's right. a, a theme that... It just took me a really long time to realize that that was such an overarching theme. Like, we've talked yeah. about it kind of roundabout with different instances, mm-hmm. like Sawyer and his dad and Locke and his dad and all that stuff. But it was really these episodes with Eloise specifically yeah. that really made me start thinking that this is actually... If we could say there's any unifying factor in this show so far, this would be it. Right. And, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about when it comes to storytelling, especially when we're visiting stories for not the first time, mm-hmm. like I am with this, right? It's really noticing and appreciating when the story tells you from the beginning what it's about. Right. And... I mean, we talked about The Sixth Sense last time. That's a bad example of that, right? Mm-hmm. But Lost has been telling us from the very beginning with Christian Shepherd, Right. And then elaborated on that with Locke's dad. The person Kate blowed up. You well, know, like we, we, we get this from the very beginning. We're told it over and over, Charles Widmore. I mean, it just, it was telling us from the very beginning. And so I think that's one thing that is in the show's favor. Well, and like, for an example, an episode that I didn't really like this season was the one with Saeed, where it kind of gave us a little bit of Saeed's backstory, or a little more of Saeed's backstory. And we see his father like praising him for killing a chicken. Right. And I was just like, fine. Like, what does this do, actually? Well, now I actually think now that I'm thinking about it this way, I think that actually does say it's supposed to contribute right. to this idea of like the fact that Saeed inherited that like mm-hmm. violence and that mm-hmm. ma- toxic masculinity from his father. And so like there, you know, it is very interesting the ways in which loss seems to be dwelling on these cycles and the way that we can't seem to break free of them and the way we can't seem to break free of our parents, which makes me think that somebody or multiple somebody's in the writing's room have a whole lot of trauma that hopefully they've unpacked with a therapist. <laughs> so before we move on to the next scene, this is what we'll talk about next week is this parental thematic thing, right? Is, is one element, but what Abrams and Cuse and Lindelof with the help of a lot of help of Brian K. Vaughn have been putting together is a mystery box puzzle story mm-hmm. that involves family dynamics, mythology, and science. They have said, we are doing all four of these things. Watch which ones get abandoned. Right. Is, well, is, that's the key. Like, which of the things that they started are they interested in resolving? Because, like I said, they've been developing all four of these things. From the very beginning, the familiar relationships, the puzzles, the science, the mythology. These are things they've been building from day one. Well, and I think they all go together. And I think that's what Lost is they trying. They certainly could. Well, I think that's what Lost is trying to do. Again, whether successfully or not, we'll see. But like I, we've talked a lot about like how Lost wants to talk about the intersections between religion and science and how those aren't as clear cut as maybe 
we would want them to be. But mythology is full of stories of parents and children. Like that's basically all of Greek mythology. And so like there and Norse mythology and other mythologies. Yeah. Yeah. So like it. It makes sense to me that those two things were go- would go together. The science thing doesn't seem like it would go together until you start incorporating mm-hmm. that in to this idea that STEM and science does contain a lot of similar access points to similar things. It's just a different way of describing it. And you can even describe the parental relationship as being both scientific and mythological because we not only inherit trauma from our, our parents, we inherit their genes too, right? Like we are scientifically related to our parents by blood as well as through shared experience and shared trauma in those cycles as well. So I think there's a lot of really interesting ideas being put together here. Again, I don't think that they know where they would go with it is the problem. The the next episode we're going to watch just packs a huge wallop from the beginning. And I can't help think about it in terms of this conversation. It is interesting what you say though. And, and of course, recalling that the the bonds that people have discussed from person to person aren't just familial you know there's the whole idea of is there such a thing as the collective unconscious and right. that's really a more of a, a later conversation speaking of later the next time we see daniel faraday is probably sometime in the 90s when he graduates from college tony stark style yeah. That's actually what I thought of when he was like, yeah. I'm, what else can I do? I'm the youngest one. And yeah. his, his mom, Eloise, tells him, much like give up your music, Daniel, she says, give up your girlfriend, Daniel. Make your mama proud. You don't need this woman. She's no good for you. She ain't invited to dinner at the curry restaurant. Can somebody say mommy issues all right? Mommy issues all right. I am not a joy boy. Oh, God, please stop. <laughs> Um, it, what's interesting, of course, is we, we've seen her, we, we know who this is. Right. We know who this girlfriend is. In fact, in 2004, the next time we see Daniel is when Daniel has lost his memory mm-hmm. and he is back at the piano. And the one thing he can remember is that he is responsible for his girlfriend slash lab assistant's demise, right. for lack of a better term, he doesn't think it's his fault. He try, he, he, this is, to me, this is really interesting. The, you know, is it, is it a Victor Frankenstein, this isn't my fault? Or did something happen beyond his culpability, I well, guess? Well, we never actually see what happens. Right, and that's so what I'm saying. That is hard to know. I mean, I think there are a lot of parallels between Daniel and Frankenstein. I mean, it, it's it's hard not to make those parallels in terms of like his positioning mm-hmm. as like the man of science and the person who's at a university who's doing experiments that are not sanctioned. Like that's all very classic Mary Shelley. I do think it's interesting that he's named after a scientist whose most prominent invention is something that is meant to enclose and keep energy from escaping, which is the the consequences of whatever it was he was doing did escape, which is what happened to his lab assistant. Anyway, I, I think but that's, that's what he's trying to prevent in the future, too. We'll talk about it in a minute, we'll but there. there is a connection there. Yeah. But of course, in 2004, Eloise once again comes to her son and says, give up your memory. D-. No, no, he already did that. Give up your memory loss, Daniel. Make your mama proud. Mm hmm. 
right? And so she is the one who tells him about the island. By the way, if your child, I'm not a parent, but I know that if your child comes to you and says, will that make you proud of me? Your answer is, I have always been proud of you, not what she says. Yes. Yes. But we, he also gets a visit from Charles as well, mm-hmm. because Charles is the one who obviously funds this trip and mm-hmm. wants him and he has been funding him this whole time. Weird. More on that in a minute. Right. But it is interesting that and it's interesting that Charles tells him the whole thing. Like I faked the plane thing and he's yep. like, why are you telling me this? And Charles says, you won't remember it. Right. Which is such a. It's weird. It's almost like Charles does actually want to like confess. Like he wants to say what he's done. For some reason that we don't know. Right. It's interesting. But yeah, then Eloise. And the other thing we haven't mentioned is that she's been sad this whole time. Like every time we see her, she is visibly sad. For reasons we do not yet understand. So we'll, we'll come back. To Daniel's whole thing in a little bit. <laughs> Daniel's whole if, thing. Yeah, the punchline of that does not that's, come till later. That really should be the name of the episode. Like, I know they're trying to make a connection between the constant and the variable, but one, this is not as good of an episode as television as the constant. And two, Daniel's whole thing would have been much funnier. True that. Okay, so let's move from the past past to the past present. Sometimes when you say that, I feel like you're expecting me to conjugate verbs or something. I am not. Cogito ergo sum. (laughs) Anyway, the past present 2007. This is such a weird, I don't understand what this is doing here other than a clumsy attempt to close a circle and make sure that Sonia Walker is being used for the terms of her contract. Right. Whatever that is. Eloise tells Penn that she's sorry about what happened. And that this is the first time where she doesn't know what's going to happen next. Yes. Which I think I have a theory on that. More on that later. Okay. So. But Desmond's okay. Right. And he reminds Penn. I, by the way, I love that he calls her Penn. You know, that's a name that developed over time. And it just shows that they love each other. And if there's one true thing in this show, it's this. It's the constant. Better be. So Desmond reminds Penny that he will never leave her. He has reminded her. And therefore us of that several times. That probably is going to mean something later. But then are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Charles is Daniel's father? What? Which means that he's Penny's half-sibling. Yeah, so I have thoughts about this too. (laughs) So the other thing she tells Penny is that she she when she apologized, she says, you've gotten caught up in a conflict that's been going on for longer than you've been alive, basically. And like, you know, I'm so sorry about this or whatever. This makes me think, uh, and you know, like, this is one of the reasons I've become so much more invested in this whole, what is the mythology of the others, the hostels, whatever we want to call them, you know, like, and we're going to talk more about that here in a bit. But this is making me think, I thought when she said that, that the conflict was actually between Charles, her, and Richard. Like, it was like a triad conflict, right? Because we see them all back in the 50s together, like all of that stuff. Now, based on information we'll talk about later, I think it's between the two of them. It would be hilarious if this show, all of the all of this fucking conflict and misery and trauma and all of that shit was because of somebody's lover's quarrel. I, I got to tell you, the next couple episodes are going to be so exciting for you. 
Um, I just, there's so much payoff. I mean, like, it's happening. I just want, like, this is, this is like, again, it's mythological. It's Zeus mm-hmm. and Hera, right? It's uh, them, like, uh-huh. fucking fighting mm-hmm. each other because. Two, two gods fighting. Yeah, exactly. Say. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good deal. So, we are going to stay with the past present from a certain point of view. All right, Obi-Wan. Well, I mean, that's what's happening. It, this is. This is like the other side of time traveling, right? This is this gets very Bill and Ted, uh, some of Back to the Future involved. But anyway, let's talk about John Locke. John Locke, a man who understands that you have to close a time loop. John Locke's back. Richard thinks this is odd because it's been three years. And he thinks it's even odder when Locke tells him that he died. Because you know what happens when people die. They die. I think it's hilarious. This is great. Um, I love all the interactions between John and Ben and Richard in this episode, partially because this is the first time that we've seen Richard on a back foot. Like, usually he's the guy who knows everything. He's the guy that's, like, not phased by the island. Like, he's got this direct line to Jacob. He knows all the temples and shit. You know, he's been here for a long time. He seems to have not aged at all. But, like... During this entire interaction with John, he has no idea what's going on. And, like, he seems completely flabbergasted by the idea that John Locke could still be alive. As you say, we've seen Richard as the person who knows more than most everybody else. You know, for example, we saw him interact with Locke when he had gotten shot. And it seems that Richard's very on top of things, knows exactly what's happening. The reason I call this from a certain point of view is we've already seen this. Right. Right. We get to see the other side. And it turns out he doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. He just gave off that aura because John just told him and is in the bushes 10 feet away. Yeah. I love how close they are. They're just like John could have past John could have looked up and seen future John. Like they're not even trying to hide that hard. Past present. All right, all and right. Past, past, as, as in slight spoilers for Danny Ogg's book club, as in the Terry Pratchett book, Night Watch, it's easier if you think about events coming one after the other. Right, and that's going to come into play in a moment. But before we get to that, Locke reveals his plan. And boy, is this, oh boy. So Locke is starting to it appears to us, key in on something, which is people who allegedly know a lot about Jacob may or may not know what they seem to know. And Locke's reaction to this is, everybody, we're off to see the wizard. We're, we're all, everybody, all of y'all, you've been having your lives ruled by this Jacob dude. Well, we're going to go see him in the morning. I love his attitude here. It's very, you've never seen him, have you? Yeah. Yeah, he's very much trying to call Richard's you, bluff on this and Ben's bluff. Do you remember Ben's first identity? That Yeah. He was the, the wizard. wizard. Yeah, it took me a second, but yeah, he was the wizard. Yeah, I, this Because is, that's the question of the Wizard of Oz that you never see in the movie, but that, that Bomb gets into a lot more. Yeah. Who is the man behind the man? Right. Which is exactly what Jacob is, right? The man right. behind the wizard. The man behind the wizard. The thing is about this, one, John is even further into this whole Jesus after the resurrection persona that we started talking about last week. Like, he's all the way there. His attitude is just smiling all the time and, like, 
perfectly calm, just saying how things are going to be like very philosophical, very messianic. Like that is kind of the vibe that he's trying to get off, which is confusing the hell out of both Richard and Ben. As we talked about last time, Ben is like, I am done trying to like fuck this up for him. I'm following him now because my daughter slash the island told me to. Although there are these moments where John does start to get a little snarky with Ben, but it's like very, very like subtle. Like, doesn't the island tell you things, Ben? (laughs) You know, like that kind of thing. But yeah, it is interesting that he seems to be like, I want to reveal the man behind the curtain, but it's not just that. It's I want all of these people to see it. Like, it's like, I want to change this. I want to make it more transparent what's happening. Plot twist. We're not off to see the wizard. We're off to kill the wizard. Is this like Highlander? Can there only be one? Is John Locke trying to become Jacob? The spirit of the island? Next episode's going to be super fun. Or, or the island and Jacob are in a conflict. Next episode's going to be super fun. Or, I actually don't have an or. Okay, let's go to the present past, since there's no more of this to see. Back in 1977, Daniel sounds insane. He has really given off some mad scientist vibes here. Yeah, he, he as, we, as we discussed at the beginning of the episode... He tells Chang to stop drilling and that they are from the future. And that goes super well. Do you remember when he, uh, when it starts showing him going down into the mine to talk to Chain mm-hmm. and I pointed at the screen, like it was like Leo DiCaprio gif. Like that was the beginning of we the season. We saw that before. We've seen this before. Yeah, yeah. So Chang, of course, doesn't believe him because it sounds crazy. And then he tries to tell him that Miles is his son for some kind of like. Yeah ethos i guess and miles, miles is, is like, like no. no and then it looks at hurley and hurley's like uh no dude which is <laughs> hilarious because he was just telling miles to tell his dad yeah in the last episode i also really feel like the president thing is like a direct back to the future reference oh yeah 100 percent. future boy oh we didn't talk about this but uh the the closing the time loop uh, mm-hmm. that John Locke does, which is hilarious yep. because he's like, no, I have to go do this. I have mm-hmm. to do this real quick and then I'll be back. He says mm-hmm. that to Sun. It, we talked about uh, Bill and Ted, right? Like yep. he doesn't do the whole Bill and Ted like, but it did happen. Like he's like, no, I've got to close this time loop. All right. He's not going to break the island donkey wheel. This is the first time I've ever actually said donkey wheel unprompted and you are not cheering. I don't know what to do with you. Um, <laughs> all right. So Daniel's going to go off and do more crazy stuff. In the meantime, Phil's in the closet. Phil's in the closet. <laughs> couldn't have happened to a better person. It really couldn't. So, oh, man. Phil is so annoying. So we've got this council of of the Losties, which Faraday eventually joins. And... Basically, Sawyer says, we have a choice. We can get on the sub or we can go back to the beach where we started. And the group basically decides by consensus that they're going to go back to the beach. Except Daniel needs to go hang out and talk with the hostels for reasons. His mom. He does say his mom. Sure. And Jack and Kate are going to go with him to make sure he doesn't die, which, you know, good job. And so we're going to leave everybody else getting ready to go to the beach for a moment. And we're going to follow Jack and Kate and Daniel, who are going to go hang with the hostels. But first, Daniel has to go have his creepy talk with Charlotte first. 
yeah, here's another time loop that's being closed. Like, here's the thing. When he was talking to her when she was dying and she said, "There, I just remembered that there was this crazy man who scared me so much when I was a kid who told me never to come back to this island. And I think that was you. And then he goes and he does this and he makes absolutely zero effort to be less creepy. First of all, this kid's not going to understand what you're saying. But second of all, if you actually really wanted her to believe you, could you sound less like, like fucking insane about no, it? No, like, this girl, can't because this girl he's... has clearly been stranger dangered before. I think it's cute that you think Daniel, mad scientist Daniel, who is really like trying to figure out this time travel stuff and has thought so hard about it, it's broken him. Not to mention the fact. That his memory has been rebuilt on something that destroyed his memory to begin with. He is not the picture of sanity. I'm just saying every the way he tells her this, child Charlotte this, is the exact way you would tell a child if you wanted to terrify them. Yes. And so this is this is actually the important part here because Daniel is doing what he's doing because he has come to some conclusions. These conclusions are maybe we can change things. Maybe he was wrong the whole time that you can't change the past. And the reason he thinks that is that he has spent his whole life thinking about constants when he should have been thinking about the variables, which they are. The ironic thing is, as you brought up, he has just demonstrated he is a constant, not a variable. Because, as I as I point out to you, he was unable to be cool. He may have been fully cognizant of what was going to happen, but there was nothing he could do in the moment to change it, despite thinking at that exact moment that he can change it. Right. He does, however, correctly point out to Jack something that Miles and Hurley fought about earlier, which was, you can die, Jack. The past is the past, but this is not your past. This is your present, hence the present past. Right. It is not the past past. It is Jack's present. Again, it's easier to think of things happening one after the other, right, which, which is, is what Pratchett says. Which is what Daniel's trying to tell Jack. So the bottom line is Daniel's wrong about something. He's wrong about what he said, or he's wrong about what he's saying now. And Daniel's betting on himself now, which, see how that goes. But what Daniel is trying to convince Jack is, is that they can reset the timeline. And I, I want to just play this out for you really quickly. I hate this so much. Okay. Continue. Uh, okay. So, the point of contention is that if they do nothing, the thing that we discovered, the little pocket of electromagnetic energy that we discovered at the beginning of the season that you DiCaprio pointed at, is going to be the inciting event for the creation of the hatch with the button that has to be pushed every 108 minutes, which Desmond gets trapped in and has to push the button. And the one time he doesn't push the button, Oceanic Flight 815 goes down, they're cast away, Everything that happens up to the moment Daniel is telling Jack this happens. Therefore, if they grab Jughead and set it off, the pocket 
never becomes the hatch, never becomes the button, never becomes the 108 minutes. So Flight Oceanic 815 goes directly to Los Angeles, sets down, and none of this ever happened. But it did happen. So is this loop or is it multiverse? Well, that's the question, right? And and so... Quantum. Right. And we are invited in the next season to think about the question that you pose right now. But I don't think the show has been interested in that prior to this. I think the show has been pretty clear on single loop timeline because they've been, you know, talking about back to the future and, and, you know, just really going with that. So the thing about it is you can think of this a couple of different ways. You can think about it the way that Daniel's trying to think about it, which is we fix a problem, which Kate points out, is that really fixing a problem? I I feel like Kate just needs to knock on Jack's head and go, dude, I'm going to jail if you do this. Well, see, I don't even think that's what she's thinking about, but I like like this because- what What does she say? So Jack's an idiot for many reasons at this point. But here's the first reason he's an idiot. He cannot seem to fathom that why she's angry, like why she doesn't like this idea. And like it legitimately upsets her that he thinks about their entire time together, friends, lovers, whatever, as being nothing but misery or like enough misery that it doesn't matter. He wants to wipe out like their entire lives together, which we talked about how Kate acts on instinct to her that's not okay that that hurts her emotions and so that's not okay but she does bring up a very interesting point that i want to talk about when she leaves them she says how dare you like how do you why do you have the right to make this decision and to me this is very days of future past actually was the the narrative that i thought of because one daniel has identified this one event that he thinks of as a variable the energy, right, being released as being like the inciting incident, right? Not Desmond not pushing the button that day, not, you know, all of these other things that happen that contribute to the plane crash, right? He thinks this is specifically the thing that we could change. Yeah. Not any of the other stuff, which is very days of future past because they identified that the thing where the point that they could change where stuff started to go wrong was when Mystique tries to kill Trask. Right. Not maybe we should kill Trask as a baby, not maybe we should stop Trask from doing horrible experiments on mutants, not any number of other things that might have impacted that. That was the specific moment that they circled and said, this is it. This is when stuff starts to go bad. But the question in Days of Future Past, and it gets brought up in the comics and in the movie, is the people who have been born after during this timeline, they say... If you do this, if you go back and you change this, we will. there's a chance that we will never be, have been born or we definitely will not be the people that we are now. Mm-hmm. And so you are essentially asking us to sacrifice our lives right. for a different timeline. Right. And the question always is, who has the right to decide that? Who has the right to decide which timeline is the timeline that should be? And the argument seems to be, well, this is a miserable timeline and everybody will has died in it or is dying in it and it's fascist or whatever. But the point is, is that you're still killing people to go to the other timeline. And so, you know what I mean? Like, And so it is actually an ethical question that you're asking. And what Kate is basically saying is you don't have the right to decide that this didn't matter 
or that this doesn't matter to other people. Because remember, she also would never have met Sawyer. Like Mm -hmm. she, Juliet would still be like in her little cage with Ben. Like, you know what I mean? Like there are things that happened that were good for these people as well. But Jack is fixated on his own fucking misery and the fact that he can't get out of his own fucking way and he needs to be the savior. And this is the narrative that lets him be the savior. And I love that Kate says, you know who you sound like right now? And he was crazy too. That to me was the cinch. This is appealing to Jack's savior narrative, his need to be the hero. And that's why he's fixated on it. It's not because he actually understands the consequences of what he's doing. That was a lot. It is, and none of it matters. Here's why. (laughs) Once again, as we've been doing these last several episodes, is rolling out things chronologically. Because you have to be very careful about how you think about this kind of time travel. In Back to the Future, Marty goes back. He goes back around 1.15 in the morning in 1985 back to 1955, when he comes back, he comes back to that point, watches himself leave, and then he comes back. Right? Mm -hmm. That is a big premise of Back to the Future. You don't interact with yourself. And you have to think about your timeline constantly moving. This is how, in, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure... Rufus tells Ted he has to wind his watch because his time will always continue. In The Terminator, when Kyle Reese comes back, he knows, he says, I'm not going back to the future. I will die. I started playing Overwatch again. And one of the things I hate most is one I, I play I play, you know, the character of characters, Diva, right? She's got a little mech, and she pops out of her mech. It explodes, right? And then it regenerates. There is a period of time. It's very short, but it's a minimal amount of time from when you press the button to go back into the mech to when you're in the mech. I get killed so many times in that split second. Yeah. So here's the thing. If they set off a hydrogen bomb, what will happen to them? It's a great question. No, it's no, it's a very simple no, question. No, they will die. They they're dead. Yeah. What what part of them thinks they're going to go back to flight 815 like anything never happened? You die. You're dead. Another version of you might continue on a different timeline, right. but you my friend are dead. Dead. I just think that it's interesting <laughs> that this idea of preventing misery seems to be the main yeah. reason why people do try time travel on purpose. Right, but here's Even the- in Back to the Future it's still like their lives are better. Like the alternate version of their lives are, is better than the version that they started with. Right. And that seems to be that it's okay that he changed the past because all these people are happier. If they set off this bomb, they will die. Yes. There are two possible eventualities. One, what Daniel says is going to happen, happens. The alternate versions of them who they don't know because they're dead, but the alternate versions of them who are alive continue in their misery and suffering. Or... Possibility number two, still dead. Nothing matters because you're dead. But because you're dead, because you never had the intervention in flight, uh, you know, flight 815 landing on the island, you never had the intervention on the island, which means you never go back in time and set off the hydrogen bomb. So even though your original self is dead, your alternate self 
never does the thing that fixes the thing, so the thing happens, and now your alternate self is going to have to go through all this and die again. Yeah, there's real breaking the island again energy here. This is stupid. Well, okay, but here's the thing. You know, you know who was here's right? The thing. You know who was right in all of this? Go home, bet on the Cowboys by Microsoft. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, Sawyer that is, knows exactly what the solution is. Yeah. I think that there I think that debating all of this is very interesting, but I don't think any of it is why Daniel's doing it. No. Daniel is a mad scientist. Mad scientists have obsessions. You want to guess what Daniel's obsession is? Love? Yeah, he doesn't want Charlotte <laughs> to die. And he doesn't care if they never get together. Yeah. He doesn't care about any of that. He is doing all of this just so Charlotte doesn't die. He does not care about Jack. He does not care about the plane. He does not care about any of these people. I don't even think he cares about himself at this yeah. point. I think that he would kill himself dozens of times over trying to make sure that Charlotte does not die. Like yeah. he is trying to avoid that right. moment in time from happening. I, I have a nice little fun thought experiment for you. Yes. Remember how I laid it out for you that if they do this, ultimately the next version of them will ultimately end up doing the same yeah. thing again. What if this is that? That would be hilarious. What I would if love this has that. already happened before? And you know what that means? You have to ask yourself that with every time travel narrative. Yes. But do you know what that means? What does it mean? What I have said from the beginning, they were always dead. Yeah. If the hydrogen bomb goes off, they were always it's dead. It's just a repeating None loop. Of, like, you know, because that's the big thing. Oh, no, they didn't die in the beat. Well, no, they were already dead. That's the point. Well, that happens. Uh, that's implied in, uh, you remember that Zack Snyder movie, Army of the Dead, where they're talking about that, where mm -hmm. they're like, what if these were actually us? Mm -hmm. Like, and this was like our... 30th attempt to heist right. this place. That that would be a very interesting way to go. I don't trust that they know how to get there, but it would be very interesting. Right. Like the revelation that they've actually been doing this over and over again. Right. Trying because, to find a different solution. Yeah, That's the thing. One of the central ideas in this is fate versus free will. And we've talked about this previously, about the idea that the Puritans believed in fate, mm -hmm. but you still have free will, so you better be good even though it doesn't matter because it's already been decided. But you have free will. Well, and if we were to connect this theory to like Richard and the rest of them, maybe they're all caught on in the loop and Richard can't directly affect things. Right. But he's trying to like find somebody who will make different choices. And so like that's why he keeps coming up with different leaders for this group. Right. Could be interesting. Yeah, there's a couple of hints that are given to us that this might possibly be the thing at play here. And one of the reasons we know that is because the guy who thinks he can reset the timeline goes in and says, I'm going to reset the timeline. And his mom murders him, which she always knew she was going to do. So she says, she metaphorically says to him for the last time, this time it's give up your life, Daniel. Make your mama proud. Yeah, this is definitely where the whole parent things hit home for me. This idea that she was going to sacrifice her son for something that he doesn't even understand. Yep. Like, like he doesn't understand why she's done what she's done. Right. Like, there's no way that he understands what the conflict is that she's a part of at this point. He's just obsessed with Charlotte. And, you know, like, she's never told him anything except for to become super smart so we can do this, I guess. So, like, I, it is so tragic to me. And, like, the fact right. that he tells her, like, you knew the whole time and you still sent me anyway. 
The idea that she's, and she has the gall to tell Charles, like, don't talk to me about sacrifice. Like, mm-hmm. whatever, dude. Like, you sacrificed your own kid. You're a monster. I do not care. So we are given, ultimately, at the end of this, uh, these two episodes, we're given three solutions to this time travel problem. One, Kate will leave, but Saeed will tag in. So option one is Saeed, Jack, Eloise, and Richard go looking for Jughead because they're going to fix it. They're going to set off the hydrogen bomb and it will reset everything, they think. Option two, we'll go back to the beach and just, you know what? It was working before. Maybe it'll work again. It's the idea that do nothing and just trust that it's going to be okay, right? And so everyone's going to do that. That's what they, again, they had that general consensus. Except Radzinski and Horace managed to capture Sawyer and Juliet, torture Sawyer. And And Juliet. Yes. And then Chang comes in having realized cats in the cradle and all that. Right. And and so we basically did that last week. <laughs> right. And so basically what we end up is option number three. With Sawyer and Juliet getting on the submarine, evacuating, and choosing their love. Going off into the sunset and choosing their love. Which would have worked great. I well, I mean, it's clearly the correct choice. It is still the correct choice, even when the two worst people in the world for them at this moment. Get on the sub. One, the actual worst person in the world, Phil. And two, the worst person in the world, a la the uh, film, worst person in the world, Kate. Yep. Destroyer of relationships. Yeah. It's, it's so happy. It's like you could actually, like yeah. you said, you can actually see them like running, riding off into the sunset. And then Kate shows up and everybody's faces just fall. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to leave out one thing. One thing needs to not be left out. Miles gets to see. He knows that that dad was a jerk to mom. And he gets to see it. And he's like, oh, he had to be a jerk to get her off and me off the island so we could live our lives. Oh, he was such a nice kid. And then Cats in the Cradle plays again. Yeah, except for, that, moment. except for, again, that doesn't really work except for when you're a child. But, you know. Well, unfortunately, he's back on the island. So it didn't work. It didn't really work. I have to say, though. Uh, you know, this is interesting. I'm excited for the next episode. I have to say, though, Saeed, Son, Rosen, Bernard, four characters that have been criminally underused this season. So this is my final question for you. I have a final thought this week, and I want to I want you to talk about it a little bit. One hundred and one episodes. Seasons of television in which we've been invested We've been asked to be invested in these characters, as you point out. Some of them have been underused. You say that because you're invested in them. With the time travel loop, with the hydrogen bomb, I believe we are being asked a question at this point. And your answer to this question really has an impact on the next season, the final season, what you hope for, what you expect, 
and your reaction to ultimately what you will get. This exploration of a time loop tells us these people don't matter. Well, Eloise says that, right? Like they, when those two others die because Saeed kills them, she's like, this doesn't matter. What matters to you? What have you spent five seasons of television caring about? The puzzle box or the characters? See, I care. You know, I care about the characters more than I care about puzzle boxes. And so for me, a satisfying solution to this would be something that serves the characters rather than the puzzle box. Like even if they never explained some of the things that they've brought up in this, if even if it was just like this was a weird thing that happened. Right. Which, by the way, Ben realizing that there's a plane in the middle of the island was also a highlight of this episode. But like. I would just, I would rather see these characters have satisfying endings. Here's my final, final question. Yeah. Why not both? I mean, both would be preferable. Yeah. But if I had to choose, characters. Final thoughts, Tessa? Where's Rose and Bernard? If they do not tell us where they are by the end of this season, well, I don't know what I will do. What, what will you do? I don't know, but it won't be pleasant. You'll be like, I'll watch Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2 instead. You won't like me when I'm angry. Okay, Bruce. All right. (laughs) That's it for this week. Join us next time when we'll be talking about the two-part season five finale, The Incident. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9, and you can find Tessa at The By Paradox. Until next time, it's us. We're the variables. People. We think. We reason. We make choices. We have free will. We can change our destiny. I think I can negate that energy under the swan. I think I can destroy it. If I can, then the hatch will never be built. And your plane, your plane will land just like it's supposed to in Los Angeles. And how exactly do you plan on destroying this energy? I'm going to detonate a hydrogen bomb.